You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. What do Subway, Chipotle, and Texas Roadhouse have in common? Well, they're all subjects of this week's very different episode of A Deeper Dive. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of the podcast, I demanded that a pair of our more veteran editors talk about a single topic they've covered over the years that stands out in their memory. The episode features Peter Romeo, Editor-at-Large, and Lisa Jennings, Executive Editor, All three of us have covered this industry for a little bit. Now, one rule I had in this week's episode, you cannot bring up the pandemic because just that is too damn obvious. So we talk about Subway and particularly the now infamous Jared Fogle incident. Then we talk about Chipotle's E. coli outbreak and the impact that's had. And then we end with a discussion on Texas Roadhouse and the sad loss of the chain's founder. The result of all of this is a very interesting discussion on three notable topics from the last decade in the restaurant industry. So please have a listen. Welcome you two to the podcast. Good to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, we're going to start. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode this week. And I uh, wanted to ask each of you your thoughts on a specific – I wanted you to remember a specific event that you covered during your uh, lengthy journalism careers in the restaurant space, and we can talk a little bit about them. And the first one is I'm going to bring up is uh, the Subway – Jared Fogel incident. Now, you might recall this, that in, uh, I believe it was 2015, that there were some news stories uh, coming out of Indiana in which a house was being raided that happened to belong to the notable subway spokesman who had uh, a shockingly lengthy career of uh, being the spokesman for for Subway, kind of what, 15 years or something like that, by that particular point had become kind of ubiquitous for losing weight by eating sandwiches. And it turns out that he was a child molester. Really one of the most shocked. Do you remember this, you guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. I remember seeing the police reports. uh, What was it in Indiana? And uh, thinking, oh, my God, this can't be good. So, yeah, horrible. So I remember this, and in that year, I was working for a different publication, and my editor at the time at said publication called me up and and is wondering should when the, when it was first when it was unknown that this that it was that it was like Jared was behind that he was a, a, a under investigation specifically, or that it was related to apparently a friend of his. And so, and anyway, she was wondering, do we, should, should we, should we write about this? I mean, you know, that's what she was asking me. And I'm like, I had to convince, well, yeah, we actually have to, because he's a pretty important figure. He is being raided uh, or his house is being raided. Guys, that does not happen every single day. And it turns out that he would end up in prison. And, you know, the impact of that whole scenario is is actually still, I think, still being felt by Subway today. Um, it was a turning point for sure. I mean, he was such the face of the brand and the, the whole idea that you could lose weight by eating Subway. I mean, that's basically what he was pitching. 
I think yeah. it really worked for them at the time. Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, it was it it gave it was not only it not only made subway sandwiches seem healthy and by the way subway sandwiches are not really healthy i mean i mean you you have to take all the good stuff off of it for it to be healthy <laughs> like everything but you know it gave it gave a health halo to almost any sandwich concept out there uh the impact of that that um was was amazing because if you you know people don't like don't deliberately I mean, people do want to eat healthy, but when they go to a restaurant, that's not really their primary goal. But if they think that the thing that they like is healthy, that they'll actually eat at it. And so that Jared campaign gave them this health halo that it was really difficult to match for a long, long time and was a primary element in their marketing. And at the time, Peter, you might recall that... Subway was trying to get out of this $5 foot long thing. By the way, another massive advertising campaign that, that, you know, they've struggled to emerge from, but they were really struggling to break out of this $5 foot long campaign. And they were thinking about bringing him back, like, you know, putting, uh, giving him a much bigger uh, ad, you know, or doing another round of Jared ads and things of that nature. And, and then he just, sort of went down in flames. Well, part of the reason why Jared was so uh, successful as a spokesperson was that he was not a spokesperson, that it was genuine, that he really came forward. There really was a Jared, and he really did eat the turkey uh, club or the, the turkey sandwich every day, and he did lose the weight, and he seemed like a genuine, everyday guy. And then you found out that it was all a pretense, that this guy had a very deep, dark side, and you might recall it came out very quickly that he would ply his interest often while being on location to shoot commercials. Uh, he would ask for to meet young women. And at the time, he also had a book out. Uh, so, you know, he would really position himself as this laudable, fascinating character. And then you found out that what you saw wasn't really what this person was all about. Um, and it really tarnished that brand for sure and they kind of fumbled it if you remember the initial reaction they sort of were saying we're investigating we're looking at it they didn't come out and distance themselves right away from the first get-go and i think that kind of hurt them as well so it it truly was an extraordinary thing and one of those times i remember thinking my god is this really happening this is just we couldn't have imagined a thing like this so yeah yeah, I've. I mean, there's never been anything quite like it. Nothing even close. I mean, I probably. I, I mean, I suppose maybe the, maybe the John Schnatter stuff. But I mean, I, I mean, I just, you know, your primary spokesman, the guy who was like almost synonymous with Subway, being having their house raided, and I think if you recall that year, that was also the year that Fred DeLuca died. Yeah, and. You know, so it actually, I mean, it happened, you know, I mean, it was actually sandwiched between. So he was, his house was raided, Fred dies, and then uh, Jared goes to prison. That's basically went in that order. And I just don't think the company had any idea how to deal with it by any stretch of the imagination. They were, everything was, 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 the, the, the company was absolutely, I think that year in complete disarray. And as it would happen, I mean, they sort of like kind of sh almost kind of closed in on itself, if you recall that. And and I don't think it helped them. And they never 
it took them ages. Really took until two years ago with their Eat Fresh Refresh campaign. They never really recovered until then. Their marketing was just was 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 a complete mess. They never had anything that really resonated with consumers. It wasn't uh, never really, and you know, Jared became sort of synonymous with with uh, with you know what you the the worst aspects of his personality. I don't know if you guys watched Deadpool, but there was a uh, uh, there was a, one of the jokes is when Deadpool keeps calling this one creepy guy uh, Jared all the time, telling him to stay away from schools and stuff like that. So it almost became, <laughs> became sort of a joke. And um, but so it took them a long time to really recover their marketing. Their their PR was disastrous. I think that year. Do you think that they sort of had responsibility, Lisa, to, I mean, do you think they had any culpability in that sort of thing? Like, should, should, should a company in a scenario like this be responsible for doing more to check the, check the background of their primary spokespeople? Well, you do wonder whether or not they, I mean, I I can't imagine that if they knew about this when they first, you know, started using Jared as a spokesperson that they would have followed through, but I would imagine it came out at some point after he had become a spokesperson and that some people kind of had an inkling of things that were, you know, as Peter just mentioned, things were not quite right. But at that point, they may have just been in the in a situation where they were either forced to go forward with him as, the, you know, he had become such a face of the brand that they thought maybe they could just keep it hidden. And um, I think that if that's true, I mean, I don't know, but if that is true and if that's the situation they were in, it wasn't handled terribly well in the end, you have to admit, although it would have come out one way or the other. So, I mean, either they could have fired him, you know, knowing that there was something going on and come up with some reason for him to, you know, to break that contract, you know, and, and then maybe it would have stayed hidden. It might've come out eventually. And even then it still would have damaged the brand. So, you know, it, it's it, they were put in a really terrible situation by a guy who did some, you know, some nasty things and is now in jail for it. But yeah, it, I would it's being used yeah. in, in, in marketing books right now about, you know, the, the relationship that you build with a, a face of your brand and how important it is to make sure that that person is going to you know, be a good reason to stick with. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they had a model with Michael Jackson when the allegations came out about uh, his dealings with some of the the young kids. You might remember Pepsi. They acted quickly and maybe they were a little rash, but um, or maybe not. But but they reacted. But, you know, the, the the thing about Subway was, you know, their constituency is as much their franchisees as uh, the consumer. And franchisees were going through just a terrible patch. You might remember they finally introduced breakfast after testing it for like five years. I remember talking to um, an area developer for Subway and asked him for the sales figure for breakfast. And I said, well. That's in a session and he, or, you know, a day. And he said, no, that's a week. And I said, well, why do you bother? I think it was under 200 bucks that they, uh, and, and he said, I, I don't know. This was an edict that came down. It forces us to get ready sooner and there's a benefit there, but it's not for the sales per se. That time too, the parent, the franchisor had pulled back all the advertising uh, co-ops. They had pulled back the control of that so that they were running the advertising too. Then you had the $5 footlongs where they're losing money on the sandwiches or certainly not making much. So as a franchisee, I, I would have been furious that they didn't know that they didn't know that this was the case because he apparently asked the producers to sometimes help him procure young women. So uh, uh, I, I would have sued the, the hell out of 
Subway or Doctors Associates for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean that's a giant can. I mean the, the the impact of of the of of that whole thing was, you know, I mean, I mean essentially the the foundation at Subway roughly collapsed. Yeah. Uh, they lost, I mean, six thousand plus stores in the year since then. They're probably in a period of just sort of steady decline. Not really, you know. They, you know, might add some locations, but that's not their focus, uh, you know, at, by any stretch of the imagination. So they're probably going to continue to decline, you know, for, for a while. Uh, I mean, their, their sales took a massive, massive, massive hit. There's by any stretch of the imagination, you know, you have a bunch of franchisees that have low average unit volumes and then, and, uh, from if at in the first place too many locations and then you know and then they lost their two big marketing things right uh, back to back so big big impact from that all right next next one lisa i'm going to let you go next what what's what's the uh, event that you recall the most well the event that i recall was the same year and uh, i was also with the other publication with you working uh, on this while you were working on that it was a born illness oh, uh, extravaganza that started in 2015. And I mean, this story to me is a, is a great example of the story where things went horribly, horribly wrong for a company. I mean, so horribly wrong. And, you know, we can go through it all, <laughs> but they came out of it and, and, and amazingly now have really become quite the success story. So, I mean, unlike, I think, Subway, Chipotle, you know, really, really came back, but you know, it all started, if you remember, with a there was a multi-state E. coli outbreak started, I think, near me in Ventura County. You know, and at first these things were kind of routine. You know, they came up every now and then for restaurants. People didn't really pay attention. But then there were more and more. And so, you know, there was there were, you know, there was norovirus. There was more E. coli outbreaks. This was involving, you know, several states. Over three years, I think there were 1,100 people sickened. You know, some, many hospitalized, I think over 50. Nobody died, which is a good thing. But some people had kidney failure and, you know, where their lives were horribly impacted by this. There was a point when uh, the men's basketball team in Boston College aided at Chipotle in Boston. Um, that was a norovirus case. And after that, Steve Ells went on TV on the Today Show to apologize, if anybody remembers that, which failed horribly. I mean, it was just such a bad <laughs> attempt at trying to fix the situation. Oh, yeah. And, and, and this kept going on. There were criminal investigations. There was a DOJ investigation, which was settled in 2020. Uh, Chipotle paid 25 million, which was the highest fine at the time, you know, for a food safety um, incident. People in the industry were questioning whether the whole idea of fresh food cooked in house would could be brought to scale. I mean, Jonathan, you were one of them. You were one of them who was saying, you know, you see, see, you can't eat healthy. See what happens. You get sick. Why are we calling Chipotle healthy? Well, it was, you know, it's it's. I think arguably fresher food. They have their sure. whole food with integrity thing. They've stuck with that. Yeah, it's still, still the case. It's you know if you make a chipotle bowl, it's better than it's loaded. You know if you you load your you know that burrito that burrito you eat, especially if it has cheese and sour cream, and it, it you might as well just get a Big Mac and fries fair and enough. a Coke. All right, fair enough. Not uh, I mean uh, okay, fair enough. All right. More wholesome than, than healthy, but you know. you're fine. You're getting maybe you're getting a little bit. You're getting more nutrients with your calories. Yada 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 yada. yada. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the idea of Chipotle is health food, I suppose. But for the most part, a lot of the customers are like young men who need the calories. Well, like my my sons. But anyway, so mm -hmm. through all of this, if you remember, you know, the 
it impacted sales significantly. The stock price yeah. fell by, I think, double digits, although it was still, you know, pretty high for, for a restaurant company. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time there was the, you know, Chipotle was also dealing with, they had suspended a pork supplier because of animal welfare standards. So it was a pork shortage. They were accused of making false claims about GMOs and in their ingredients because they serve sodas and sodas and GMOs. But the thing that really sticks in my mind about all through all of that, you know, we're following this over three years. There was that incident where um, the Center for Consumer Freedom, if you remember, this is Rick lobbyist hitman Rick Berman's um, was associated with this group. Peter's buddy. Peter's buddy. And they, so they, you know, they had launched a website that was called chubbychipotle.com. I actually tried to see if it still exists. With my, <laughs> I the forgot about there. that, Bert. Oh, yeah. It won't let me, it won't let me open it. So because of our, uh, our cybersecurity standards here. So uh, they, they put in ads in the New York Post saying you can't spell Chipotle without E. coli. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, it, it was funded. This group was funded by others in the restaurant industry, and they wouldn't say who. But I remember having a conversation with a restaurant chain a CEO at the time. You know, just as an aside, we were talking about this, and he he thought that this was some sort of corporate, you know, attack that somebody had planted foodborne illness in the food at Chipotle, and that this was causing all of this in, in an attempt to bring Chipotle down. And so there were conspiracy theories, you know. Before conspiracy theories were part of mainstream politics, even, you know, it was it was just shocking to me that this happened right in the middle of of what Chipotle was going through and how little, you know, others in the industry were had no sympathy for Chipotle. They were just like, you know, oh yeah, uh, huh. I will ha, never ha. forget that. Oh my <laughs> goodness, it was, was like ding dong, which is dead. That's really how it was like. It was. I was at restaurant finance and when this was all breaking out, and that's really the attitude of a lot of operators. There's zero love for Chipotle. And not really I mean, I don't know, let's let's just face facts. The management at the time was really full of themselves. And they went through that whole thing. To me, that really exposed not as much their I mean, you know, their their health and safety stuff, whatever. I'm not an expert on that, but it really exposed their PR problems that they had at the company for sure, because they're handling it that was awful. It was it was every bit actually as bad well, yeah, it was every bit as bad as 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 Subways. The difference is that Chipotle eventually figured things out because a public company had an activist investor. That activist investor essentially uh resulted in a change in management that led to Brian Nickel coming back, coming into the company. Uh, and then Brian Nickel, they moved the headquarters, getting rid of a lot of the employees there and essentially uh, overhauled the, their whole marketing and operations functions and all that other stuff. And food safety. Essentially, and food safety and and has, has really recovered it. But I mean, they were at they were at ICR. I will, this will, I will never forget this. They were at ICR investor conference that January and there were Steve Ells and, and, and Jack Hartung and, and, and they were sitting up there in front of a massive crowd of investors who lost their, a lot, they lost, their stock fell 50% somewhere in that neighborhood. And they were just up there kind of like, yeah, we're, we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're, we've got the best food safety thing in the planet. We're going to get through this da, 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 da. And it never happened. I mean, their stock just, I mean, their, their sales kept going, kept south for much longer. Uh, far bigger impact than anything we'd ever seen. You remember that, Peter? Oh, a- absolutely. And I can shed some light on some of those campaigns. You know, the other thing that they were doing at the time, they being Chipotle, 
Remember they did that little animated movie about how everyone else served fact, factory food and they had actual food. And really it was a criticism against the whole industry. And at the time I was doing some work for the association and the directors were beside themselves because they felt like they were giving a, a, that Chipotle was giving a black eye to the whole industry. If you weren't Chipotle, you were suspect and the association was trying to figure out what to do and how do you counter that you don't want to give more attention to it by openly challenging it because you doth protest too much and i remember you know some of the things you mentioned when steve ells was on the today show talking to, to matt lauer one of the things he swore and he said it so adamantly chipotle is now the safest chain in the u.s at which to eat and that very day Seattle closed two stores because of problems that very day. And uh, I remember calling their their PR guy. Uh, I'm going to say his name, Chris Arnold. I remember calling him the night where it broke about um, uh, Boston College and him being so dismissive about this is nothing. This is no big deal. And meantime, I was hearing from the athletes about what was going on. And it was a big deal, clearly. And then it came out, you know, if you dug, if you remember, what, there was a little bit of digging that they had always had a food safety problem. It was almost as, as if they mm -hmm. felt their freshness made them uh, bulletproof. But it came out that two units in Connecticut had been closed to be fumigated because they had an E. coli issue and a norovirus issue there. And this is going back years ago. So it really revealed a lot of problems that they have. But, you know, it was all that arrogance. It was all that we're better than you. Uh, we are the real deal and you guys are just slipshod factory operators. Um, and I think the industry did cheer. Thankfully, hopefully the industry did learn from the mistakes that Chipotle made, but it was a, certainly a bad time for them. Yeah. It was, but it was a bad time that they came out of. I mean, I think that it, it's, oh, yeah. you know, we can look back at all of this and it was, you know, at the time it was just, it really was shocking. But but look how they've come back. I mean, oh, they, yeah. it's now, you know, they had 2.5 billion in sales in the first quarter. They're growing like crazy. They're a stock darling again. You know, Wall Street just loves Chipotle and is looking for the next Chipotle with Cava or whoever. I forgot and, to say. Uh, you know, and, and Brian Nickel has done an amazing job of, 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 you know, bringing back this brand, which, by the way, so I have two sons who are heavy Chipotle users. You've heard me say this before. I mean, these guys are so devoted to this brand. You would not believe. I personally have paid more money to Chipotle than any other restaurant company, you know, through them, I'm sure, because they eat there every, almost every day, almost every day, and, and did through all of that, through the whole, whole foodborne illness thing. They didn't care. They ate there anyway. They liked it. They thought it was yeah. you know, good for bodybuilding and yeah. protein bowls and all that. Well, Jonathan, you might remember you had just – um, joined restaurant business when Brian, or not long before Brian Nichols was named uh, was named to that job, and you and I actually had a debate uh, uh, in print about was he going to wreck this unique animal called Chipotle by bringing in the Taco Bell approach? You know, might he dare to do an LTO, which Steve Ells would badmouth as just a ridiculous thing? Um, would he do things like expand the menu and look at new products and and all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of a matter of taking this gem, you know, kind of like painting a, um, a mustache on someone on the Sistine Chapel. You know, it just seemed like it was sacrilegious, um, uh, but it did it. And, and from my speaking as a consumer, I don't think Chipotle's ever been better than it is now. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he brought some. I mean, 
There's a reason why founders eventually have to cede to permanent CEOs. And I think at that particular, I mean, I mean, Steve was, you know, he created a really good thing in Chipotle. But by that particular point, he sort of could do no wrong. And like, I mean, in reality, I mean, the it, it was a it was a management problem. It was definitely a clear management problem. And Brian Nickel fixed it. He fixed it you know, better than any of us really could imagine. I can't, I can't even remember what I said, but at that point, I don't remember what I said yesterday. So I, he, he definitely fixed it. And it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's definitely back. So you can't do it, but it really did need, uh, I mean, it, they didn't just overhaul management. They basically overhauled the entire corporate staff. Well, I mean, well what, what Brian did that, that was brilliant was he, I mean, they could not have seen the pandemic coming, but Chipotle is one example of a brand that kind of came out better after the pandemic. And this was the pandemic allowed them to really move past whatever that was pre-pandemic, that whole foodborne illness thing. Brian came in and started thinking about all of the all of the aspects of Chipotle now that that they benefited from through the pandemic. You know, the drive throughs, the the technology, the, you know, the moving to digital, the building the digital side of the business, all of that had been starting to be put in place before the pandemic and, of course, helped them succeed through the pandemic. And now they've come out the other side, you know, going going gangbusters, largely because of some of those decisions, which, you know, he didn't know the pandemic was coming. So that was just totally, a you know, something that he it was you could say it's prescient. He saw it happening in the industry and saw it as neat, necessary. And so, you know, their investments increased during the pandemic because they saw how valuable some of these things were. Right. But that's what did it. I mean, in the end. And I, in these days, you know, for a brand that was in being the, the butt of jokes on the talk shows for all sorts of things that are fairly unpleasant, you don't want your restaurant to be associated with mm -hmm. with these yeah. kind of illnesses. You know, do you, do you ever hear that now? No. No. It's not it's not a thing anymore. So. Right. Awesome. So uh, lesson for the first two, make sure your marketing uh, is really strong. Peter, last one. What's what's your. Well, you know, unfortunately, I have kind of a sad one. And, and it was something that um, it, it was the most recent instance of a development that unfortunately I've had to cover several times in my career. And it still kind of haunts me. It still makes me very upset in this food for thought. But the death of Kent Taylor. Oh my God. Here you had a guy who was truly a visionary. He had quite a bit of money. He had a thriving chain. He was not encountering uh, anything on the business side that really was of serious nature. Um, he seemed to be a guy who relished life, who really indulged himself. Um, you know, not my favorite guy. I think I mentioned in a column, uh, he's not the kind of guy you want to see dating your sister. Um, and he could be a colossal jerk, but here he was at the top of his game and really, truly loved by a lot of people, certainly respected by a lot more. And, you know, he has some health issues, but it kind of comes out that maybe life wasn't so good. It wasn't as, as good as it appeared on uh, to those of us on the outside. And it really affected me um, uh, just in, in talking to some of the people that he had worked with or just reading what was there and how people reacted. 
um, it, it really made me think that, uh, yeah, money is the objective, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, and unfortunately, a couple of the other executives that I got to know a little bit more, I did not know Kent very well. I'd met him. Um, but, uh, but guys like um, uh, Mike Snyder of Red Robin, he was only 68. He was retired. He had enough money to own a huge ranch in Montana. And, and he took his life or probably the worst or one of the worst was the guy who headed up Holiday Inns when I was covering hotels. He rented a Holiday Inn hotel room and took his own life. And I had I had met him. He was in a turnaround situation and he was doing it. But it it, it was just a, a, a sad reminder that there's a lot more to the lot the people we cover than just being a business executive. Um, and as I said, I still think about Kent. It was also interesting, the reaction of the industry. We got some nasty emails and nasty calls about people who thought we shouldn't even cover that issue. We should we should just keep away. I remember one person who worked for Roadhouse saying the word death should never appear in your headlines and thinking, well, you know, we, we lost a true icon here. So so sorry to, to bring up a, ne- a negative one, but it truly was one that uh, that definitely would be a, a, a timeline in, in, in my career history. Yeah, I don't think, and I mean, I think, A, he was the most prominent uh, victim of, he was a COVID victim. I think that's one way, because he had tinnitus, and, you know, ultimately, that's, you know, what really drove him to do what he did. But, I mean, to your point, I mean, it's, the fact of the matter is, you know, suicide, depression, and mental illness, no, no know no industry they know no income level and they can happen it can happen really to to anybody and it's it's definitely something that money can't fix shifting things a little bit to i mean you know texas roadhouse probably is you know a i don't it tends to be an underappreciated story i think in the restaurant space they have they killed it through the pandemic they killed it through the loss of their founder and CEO. They've killed it. I mean, they've absolutely um, have tapped into a consumer business. It's a great concept. Um, I'm sure you've been there, Lisa. It's a it's a wonderful place. Oh yeah, yeah, we took you there. Yes. And it's just a, it's 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 a wonderful place. It's a, 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 a absolutely fun concept, and the reason why you go out to eat frankly for my for my money anyway he was uh i mean that's he is that texas roadhouse is fantastic it's a differentiated casual dining concept you know there used to be this statement by even the the chains of those that the executives of other casual dining chains would say you go to a casual dining restaurant blindfold and you wouldn't know which one you were in because chances are you'd have potato skins or nachos or burgers or a piece of steak and they were almost interchangeable, the experience and the, the quality of the food. Roadhouse was really distinctive. It, it really had a, a culture and a feeling. Uh, and you can analyze it, and it kind of boils down to just a, a hair of difference, but those hairs added up. And uh, indeed, they... they were on the ball during the pandemic. That was my go-to. We would eat and, uh, or get takeout from uh, our Texas Roadhouse a couple times a week, and it was a good experience, and we were very comfortable. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it is an unsung uh, story. I forget what executive of a chain told me that 
Uh, Roadhouse was the uh, Chick-fil-A of full service. Uh, it is truly unique and, and ahead above. Yeah. It's also That's a good app. value. I wish I had had one near me when my kids were younger because it, I, we would have been there all the time. But, uh, yeah, it's a great value, and I think it's one that would will definitely appeal even more mm-hmm. as we go into the next few years. Yeah. Instead, you just send your checks to Brian Nickel? Yeah, basically. I might as well just go direct. Yeah, yeah. Might as well just eliminate the middleman. All right. Well, super. This was great, you guys. I really appreciated uh, you joining me on the podcast. Oh, real pleasure to do. Real yeah. pleasure to do. Um, and now doesn't uh, Lisa have to get on that uh, that machine behind her and do some exercise? <laughs> Usually I do that during our meetings. You know. uh, yeah, Glad you're doing something. Some calories. Yeah. My steps. yeah. So that's a nice, happy one. So we had what? We had E. coli. We had uh, uh, child, child abuse and suicide. Very happy podcast. Yeah, yeah. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash articles backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I am Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. (music) 